0: Welcome to the Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads with unique careers and the roads they travel to get there. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Max Russo, Class of 2020. Today, we talk to Vishal Dizawar, Class of 2013, Digital Organizing Platform Director for the Biden presidential campaign. To put another way, he was the social media expert to help get out the vote. To find more about this, I attached an article in the show notes Vishal co-authored with Jeff Chang, where they explain the techniques and technologies of the past campaign. Joining us today is the class of 2013, Vishal Disour.
1: Vishal, what do you do? Hey, so I um, I think the best way to describe what I've been doing so far is, um, you know, kind of being in the intersection of politics and technology, um, working with Democrats to, um, you know, and mostly on presidential campaigns, working to elect more Democrats in office, um, organizing on key progressive issues, um, and trying to get them passed um, at both, you know, the local levels and, and the national levels.
0: So what is, what would you say is your kind of uh, area
1: of specialty? It's like the intersection of organizing and um, product and technology.
0: Cool. So we'll get into like what that, the product and technology part is. Um, so what did you, how did you get um, activated into uh, politics?
1: Yeah. So this was um, after I left high school, uh, I went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, initially just to do computer science, um, but sort of after like my first semester um I think I shared the story up publicly before as well, but uh, I'm a DACA recipient, um, meaning I'm one of the undocumented immigrants that does have um, deferred this Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program um, that President Obama launched in 2012 to give us deferral from deportation and access to, you know, be able to work in this country, be able to go to college, uh, stuff like that, and so. Um, you know our, our family uh, were immigrants and we came to this country because my sister needed her heart surgery um, and it was kind of quite difficult. Um, we came around in 2001 um, um, earlier on in that year and it was it was quite difficult to sort of get um, any sort of like legalization or extension of our of our stay but we needed to stay in this country to get our sister's heart surgery and which thankfully she's doing great today um, because uh, we, we decided to stay in this country and so, I decided my freshman year that I wanted to use my skills in, in technology, which I was passionate about, um, to try to share my story and share why it's important for, um, you know, this country to be a country of immigrants um, and to give you know everyone an equal opportunity. And so, that was how I started getting involved in, in politics.
0: So, before you were involved in, in politics um, as as directly as you as you are. Um, how did you come to become, how did you become interested in technology and computers? Cause you said that you were, uh, in a computer science program at U of I, when did you first kind of know that you had an aptitude for, uh, computers?
1: Yeah, this was, um, sort of later on in my high school time around my junior year where I sort of, um, uh, started reading more about what like computer science is and like how, um, you know. Amazing companies have started, um, just from literally dorm rooms of like um, some colleges uh, or garages, uh, where literally you can start. You know, you have to have almost zero money, um, and you can just have an idea. You can think about build something that is really useful for for people in the world, and you can create a you know a really large company and provide a lot of value to people like at scale. And I think that's sort of like. Idea of just having an idea, thinking about it, and just like, spending time, you know, you know, building it and working on like working on puzzles and 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 essentially constructing something out of nothing that can grow massively at scale was just really really appealing to me. And also like something that also reflected sort of the the immigrant like dream also in this country or just the American dream that of what people wanted to be where you if you work hard uh, and you, no matter like where you come from. Um, or what what background you have, um, you can can make an impact in the world.
0: That's great. Um, So you were able to then very early on fuse, you know, those two things together. Um, And would you say that that when did it really start to kind of take hold um, uh, in college for you, where you were able to kind of really kind of blend these things and see um, your skill set be immediately adapted to what you wanted to accomplish for your political goals?
1: Yeah, I think one of the um, earlier things um, later on in college, um, around my sophomore year, um, we started organizing on this bill in in the Illinois um, state um, capital um, to try to give undocumented students access, equal access to um, get financial aid for higher education. um, Because Obviously, as someone that was also undocumented, I didn't have any access to get any scholarships or or, or financial aid for going to college. Um, but fortunately, was still still able to to make ends meet and go there, um, thankfully to my parents. But also understood that, you know, for many many students that, that grow up in this in this state um, and sort of work hard um, for for you know no fault of their own. Um, because of like you know a lack of documentation, um, even though this country that they feel like is their home, they, they're unable to go go to college uh, because of financial barriers. And so, we we started organizing um, with other like coalition partners from different um, universities across Illinois. Um, it was sort of like headquartered at, at, at UIC uh, with this like task force to organize on this bill. At that time, it was called the uh, the Access Bill. Um, I think later it, it ended up changing to the Rise Act uh, when it got passed, but um, it was at that moment where um, we we started doing some like you know original um, grassroots organizing, just getting people more aware about this issue, sharing our stories, um, and getting people to like grow their support, um, throw their support behind this, and join us at the state capitol to. Um, you know put pressure do rallies at the state capitol um, do press conferences and and sort of lobby lobby with these um, senators and representatives um, individually and talk about why we support this bill um, but one of the one of the initial ways um, we saw a pattern of like oh we're sharing our story people are moved by our stories they want to, we want to make it easier for them to take action um I work with some of our um, amazing, some of my amazing friends on, on campus um, from from the tech and design world. We built out this website um, to basically allow people to read the stories of these undocumented students and just easily like click to call or click to, to click to email, click to, to tweet um, their state representative or state senator in support of the bill. So the idea behind it would be. You know, you read the story, you get moved by it, and then you have a easy one click way to to mobilize essentially and um, and put pressure on on your state senators and state representatives to pass the bill. And so, luckily, um, you know, we actually ended up passing the bill in the state senate uh, with the re- Republican leader also supporting the bill. Uh, unfortunately, the first time around in twenty sixteen, which is when it passed, it failed in the house, or we couldn't bring it up to the house for a vote. Unfortunately. Um, but, but later on, you know, after I, I left that campaign, but I can't think, kept on being picked up by other students that, like, continued on um, in, in, you know, universities across the state, um, once J.D. E. Prisker was elected as governor, um, we were able to get enough votes to actually pass the bill um, and have him sign it um, into law. So now, um, this in this state, uh, I think it's one of the eight states in this country now that gives undocumented students access to uh, financial aid for, for higher education.
0: What did you, where did you go from there? What uh, after you worked on this campaign in for DACA, uh, what was, the, what was next for you?
1: Yeah. So after this, um, this bill, um, we were working on in the state, um, assembly, uh, we, I went to, um, it was 2016. So I immediately went to, um, I started interviewing with the Hillary, um, for America campaign. Cause I wanted to, you know, at that time, um, I thought Trump, you know, had basically um, won the Republican nomination and I wanted to um, make sure I can get involved um, at the presidential level to make sure, you know, we didn't have Trump (laughs) as as president. And unfortunately, you know, we all know how that story ended, but um, I was able to join the Hillary campaign as the digital organizer in uh, the battleground state of Wisconsin. Um, And so the digital organizer position basically meant um, it was our goal to sort of Meld together, like using online digital tools and getting people to take action online um, towards um, uh, towards volunteering and t- getting people out to vote for for Hillary um, in in Wisconsin specifically. Um, and we we experimented with some new tools. There was a new tactic we 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 sort of like used in this cycle or in that 2016 cycle, which became much more widely used in 2020, uh, which was this um, uh, tactic called peer to peer text messaging, uh, where you you essentially load up a large list of target voters you want to talk to and in a one-to-one way are able to just um, send them messages, Um, um, either asking them to volunteer or asking them to vote. Um, And, you know, we are able to basically just like have, you know, a lot of staff and volunteers recruited to send these messages to, to hundreds of thousands of people in a very quick way. Um, and be able to respond to them in a one-to-one fashion if they if they responded to you, um, and so you know it was a about a three-month experience um, working in, in Wisconsin for for Hillary, um, learning a lot about like both um, the new innovation the tactics that we can use in engaging voters, but also understanding that there's still a lot more um, room for improvement. I would say um, that was still there, especially in the tech world and how uh, campaigns um, use tech. It's interesting.
0: Um, you wrote a, a really fascinating, you know, behind the scenes article for Medium that I'll post uh, in the in the episode notes here, where you where you walk through the various implementation of all the tactics um, that were used, the te- technology, and how you were able to kind of problem solve in real time for that. And uh, one of the things I, I was curious to know is that. You know, as a decision point, how do you know that, let's say, for example, um, because in the article, you mentioned that uh, the through talk that you were able to reach like 33 million phone calls uh, that were then used uh, at, at large during the campaign and all that. What's the balance of like knowing that people might not want to pick up the phone call, but if you, but you can't not call at the same time, it's gotta be a very tricky balance, right. Of like, are, am I, am I letting people know about my candidate or are they going to get grumpy about the way in which they're being contacted? How do you, what's, what goes into that kind of decision?
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, the Biden campaign where I was at most recently, um, we, we knew that we had to basically like mobilize and just, just get out our, our voters, make sure like they have the, the support they need and, and the motivation um um to, to basically go out and, and vote. Um and so it's kind of like a um thing where like, you know, with Through talk as you mentioned, we made like three hundred thirty million phone calls across the country. Um it, it's kind of a like position where it was a pandemic, so we couldn't knock on people's doors um, you know, without risking people getting sick. And so we just had to make sure, you know, phone calls were like the next best way to like have a conversation with somebody um, to make sure that they get contacted and that they like go out and turn out to vote um, for for Biden in whichever state um, that they that they lived in and especially in a year where like we live in a pandemic where you know voting was gonna be different for many people where they either have to make a plan to early vote or vote by mail because they don't want we don't want people to you know Wait until the last moment um, to to vote on on election day, um, and so also making sure that you know on these phone calls that they are given the proper resources, and so we just thought it was it was worth it for 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 making sure that we are able to, um, kind of spray and basically you know um, spray with our target voters, make sure we are efficiently contacting them um, to achieve our goals.
0: That I thought that was one of the part that was really interesting in your article was how. You, you were able to kind of identify um, different outcomes. Obviously, you vote, donate, and then volunteer. Um, but one of the other parts that I thought that was so fascinating was the um, Make a Plan uh, app or website uh, that you designed uh, as well. And I was wondering, you know, who's, who's in on the process of creating something like that? Because, you know, we're talking a lot about... Convergences in in that you have computer programmers, you have marketers, you know, you have political um, uh, pollsters, and I would imagine like behavioral economists, you know, or, or people that come in to kind of design this to maximize the behavior set that you want. Um, what goes into something like that?
1: Yeah. So, um, so basically. Um, I guess take a step back to like help understand give context behind how, how this gets put together. Um, on the Biden campaign, I was the digital organizing platforms director, which basically meant, um, you know, our digital organizing department was focused on using online tools to, um, contact voters, recruit volunteers, manage volunteers, and contacting voters, uh, and training volunteers and contacting voters as well. Um, and I was, um, uh, sort of the lead behind making sure all our different departments um, had the tools features um, and things to develop uh, to make sure we can like achieve our strategic goals on uh, reaching the voters that we needed to and so for the tool that you're talking about we, we built a website called makeaplan.com. Um, it during the during the the cycle because at, at the highest level the most strategic level we understood that. Uh, voting was gonna be, as I mentioned earlier, different for a lot of people this year, and we wanted to make sure that they knew how they could, um, they were guided by, uh, in a process, to make a plan to vote to to vote by mail, for example, or to make a plan to vote to vote early, or or if they needed to, to vote on election day, but make sure they knew what time did they get there, what location to get to, uh, and if they needed to bring an ID, what sort of IDs to bring. Um, and, and, you know, for for a tool like that, this, for makeaplan.com, um, you know, a tool that is basically like a voter turnout tool and, and voter education tool is sort of uh, actually involves a lot more departments, than like some of the organizing tools um, that we use, like like through talk, for example. Um, you know, makeupplan.com involved um, product and technology teams to, to design the experiences and build it. Uh, it involved the, um, the content teams to make sure that we had all the right content from all 50 states um, uh, correct on, on how to vote essentially. Uh, a legal team to make sure that we had all the content that was there uh, was approved and also continue to stay in touch with the legal team because while we were were making sure the content was correct, um, there was always litigation with with the legal teams to make sure um, they were trying to make voting easier in a bunch of battleground states when Republicans were trying to make it hard, uh, especially in states like Pennsylvania. And so sometimes we would win a victory um, in in one of our court cases and we have to update the laws of how to vote uh, in, in this tool. Uh, and then it also involves coordination with um, our organizing teams, uh, campaign leadership, on making sure that the strategic ob- objectives of making sure that people were people are aware that like we're giving off the impression voting is still easy uh, while still nudging them towards like the good behavioral like method of like, oh like voting is easy. Like election day is obviously you know November 3rd, but here are all the, the ways you can vote early uh, and get it out of the way. Um so like trying to make trying to make it like not like not just earlier on. Like for example, like if we would show you, you know, a list of like the three different ways you can vote, we would show vote by mail first, then vote early, and then at the bottom we would show uh vote on election day. Um trying to, you know, basically use the assumption that like the item at the first of the list is something that people will gravitate towards because it's, it's the number one, number one item there. Um so yeah, long story short, basically it involves um putting together a lot of um stakeholders um but for for something like voting laws um it does involve unfortunately um because voting isn't as easy um in this country sometimes and we're all trying to make it easier um you know there's a voting rights law um that we're trying to pass in the senate um it, it it fortunately got launched very quickly within two weeks from uh, inception to uh to build and then to to testing and so um we got some really good results out of that um out of that tool
0: so if you could maybe walk me through um what's the hierarchy of a campaign so obviously you have in you have the candidate up top and then the campaign manager, what are the other layers that I'm missing uh that are above or below maybe campaign manager and how it gets to you?
1: yeah, so um there's various different departments in a campaign, so campaign manager is like the main um is the person at the top, Jenna Mallee-Dillon uh, for the Biden campaign. And so the various different departments um, are, are communications um, departments, um, pretty straightforward, they focus on um, crafting the message uh, of the candidate, working with press. Um, uh, and then from there, you also have data and analytics, uh, another close partner uh, of ours, uh, and data and analytics teams sort of work on, um identifying who the target voters are who are in the persuadable universes who are in the mobilization universes mobilization universe meaning the list of people that like we know are like likely supporters and we just got to get them out to vote um, persuadables are like potential people like we can like actually persuade and, and get them to our to our corner um, and like working to get like us like lists that we can use to like essentially contact voters uh, within our within our various tools uh, and creating a lot of various reporting as well off of our uh, off of our efforts to help us understand how our voter contact operations are going, um, how our volunteers are doing um, on on all these various tools that we're having them do, having them use um, to do contact voters. So that's the data and al- analytics team, uh, and then you have um, organizing and, and digital organizing. So digital organizing, the team I was on, uh, as I mentioned, uh, basically focuses on using um, online methods. Um, to to basically contact voters um, and and recruit volunteers and manage volunteers online, and the organizing teams are focused on essentially more local organizing. Um, with focus a lot more on like hiring field organizers and having field organizers build local relationships um, and have them build up volunteers and and essentially like work to contact voters um, in their in their local areas. Um, and then from there, you also have the legal teams, um, as I mentioned, um, voter protection teams as well that work to um, uh, make sure our content, um, you know, is, is always um, uh, adhering to voter voter rules and laws, and making sure that it is correct um, on how we're having, we're sending out correct content on on how to vote, um, as well as making sure that you know we are um, like fighting any laws in court to try to make voting easier. Um, so if we see any voter suppression like tactics being um, used against our voters, like we'll make sure we uh, th- that team will make sure to like essentially uh, focus on taking anything to court and needs to be taken to court. And then the last team um, that comes to my mind um, is the digital team, um, and the digital team is really focused on a lot of um, uh, content. Um, on on social media on on anything digital focused um basically just trying to get the message out um using 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 micro influencers essentially just figuring out various different ways and more creative ways to get the messaging out of our, of our candidate um, oh and the, the last thing obviously is the product and technology teams that focus on uh building tools um to help us uh achieve our voter contact objectives voluntary management objectives um and sorry, going back to the digital team as well. You have you have uh, producers that also make videos, um, uh, producers any 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 type of content that can be used um, in any different medium to get the messaging out of our voters. Um, oh, and sorry, the last there's so many departments in, in the campaign. The last department that also exists is the paid media uh, campaign, which focuses on um, ads, um, placing ads on digital media such as Facebook and, and um, Google, and also on on TV and radio airwaves.
0: That was actually uh miss one of mrs ficus's questions uh was uh I, I we could imagine that uh that there's a, an ever-growing investment in the digital end of influence within a political campaign what would if you were to maybe ballpark like um you know 60 40 or whatever what do you think where is the bulk of the money go towards the traditional TV radio side, or is it, or is it now tilting much more into the digital uh, side of things?
1: Yeah, definitely. A lot of the, the budget does go to advertisements, and it does start going a lot more into um, you know now that like we're getting into a more digital age. Um, a lot more of the advertisements have started shifting um, away from TV and starting to get put more and more into digital ads like facebook and and on google
0: the um one of the things that i i thought was interesting was in the article where it was towards the end where you were uh highlighted the section on road mapping and i, I was thinking about this very uh, you know again a a, a a unique convergence which is you were writing very clearly about how you use very rational, you know, scientific methods to look at like, look, did this cause the intended effect of what we wanted? But oftentimes the thing that you're doing is humans and we're irrational and emotional Mm -hmm. and all of that. I was wondering how you're able to, how do you kind of um, find the balance between uh, something that is very kind of science driven and, and data driven but then in how that moves humans, you know, in such a way. I thought that was a really fascinating um, kind of convergence there.
1: Yeah, I, I will say like the culture of campaigns has definitely gone really into like being very data driven. Um, especially because we're working such a large scale, um, when the margins end up being so small, as we have noticed in, in this past election where, you know, it was just a couple ton votes in like three of the battleground states like Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia that, that helped us win the election, um, which which makes us really focused on data and making sure we're allocating our resources appropriately towards what is working and what isn't working. So as much as possible, we're trying to figure out trends of um, what is effective in um, uh, in reaching voters, um, which is why we invest uh, in tools like SMS and, and, and dialer tools, because historically, we have it has it has been shown to be able to um, uh, be effective in, in reaching people at scale. Um, and, you know, in, in things in the persuasion world, that ends up getting a bit harder um, uh, to measure what, like, you know, like actually moves people, you know, you'll have, we'll do things like, like sometimes um, focus groups, or uh, there are some tools like polling tools that'll tell you uh, sort of the... Um, feelings and motivations that people have um about uh, about a certain topic or, or a certain uh certain issue or like or a certain communication tactic um but sometimes this is where like the art of like politics sometimes comes in too which is like you want to um get the messaging out of your candidate um in, in effective ways so you sort of just like use your like your art and your assumptions first to say i'm gonna i want to Try this thing out, because I think this is creative, and I think this is, uh, we should get a lot of room to do on the campaign, fortunately. Um, I, I want to try this creative uh, technique um, in, in reaching a voter. Um, but and here's here's how I'm going to measure my uh, effectiveness behind it. Um, and so, so long as, like, we have an understanding of, like, what we're trying to measure, um, we will, we're able to, like, take on certain projects uh, and try them out and sort of see, like, how uh, effective something is or or isn't.
0: I would imagine that um, there's a, a kind of a, a perched eyebrow uh, to some extent about um, political campaigns and, and all of that, because, you know, the this election was uh, kind of still in the shadow of things like the Cambridge Analytica scandal and all of that. How does that, how do, how does, how do persuasion and uh and the ethics of that get um discussed in a campaign where there's things that obviously you legally can't do but then there are things that you don't want to do because they just don't feel like that's the ethos of what you want to do how do those conversations come up
1: yeah so i think there's two types of conversations here one is like the 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 non-ethical tactics that are, are are actively being used against us. Um, so, you know, a big topic that we've always talked about, in addition to Cambridge Analytica, is just the massive amount of disinformation um, that was, you know, specifically just being spread by now like mainstream accounts um, on the Republican side, including Trump, uh, to sort of suppress the vote um, and and voter suppression tactics like that and disinformation. Um, you know, I think w- w- one thing we saw was one Twitter finally, um suspended Trump's account. I think they mentioned something like 70% or something like that of the rate of like disinformation disinformation on the website and Twitter dropped by like, 70% once like Trump got banned. And so we like had you know teams that tried to like source out what um what disinformation was spreading um so we can try to see if like we needed to counter it, how we would how we would counter that. Now on like actually moving you know persuadable people into, into our side, um, you know, something, something that's getting a lot, definitely a lot harder and harder as, um, you know, we're getting more polarized as a world, the digital organizing operation that we, I was a part of was mostly focused on mobilization. Um, you know, when, when you focus, when you get to a campaign at, like, at a presidential level that scale, um, a, a lot of it ends up being focused on like making sure that, you know, in the final months, um you you put your efforts on just making sure your supporters that you've identified are getting out to vote um full stop i think in terms of like persuasion um which is good work a lot of the good work that the digital team does and the content teams do um is you know we basically will use ethical methods of making sure we're not spreading lies um and we're just trying to craft compelling rhetoric um, about um, the values that we stand for Um, and try to, I think, try to put it, frame it in ways that people can understand uh, and like resonate with them essentially. Uh, But the underlying, you know, sort of things behind persuasion, uh, even in the digital organizing operation is to try to make sure that people have um, the facts at hand that they can use in their conversations uh, with the voters that they're talking to. Um, And so just making sure that we are are staying ethically inclined and trying to use you know um and i'm sure th- these are things you teach in your english class too and i think i remember like learning them as well as like the, the value of like rhetoric and framing things and the ways that people can understand actually like, end up moving them
0: was there what do you think was the most significant learning curve that you took from your first campaign from hillary's campaign to then liz warren's campaign and then heading into uh, uh biden's campaign what do you think was like the one thing where uh, you you had the like a most significant gain in learning uh, to adjust to the challenges that were um, that were once prior there and then moving
1: forward. Yeah, I think um, you know the Hillary campaign was just being focused on like one state, um, and then you know when you get to the national level, the complexities arise where you know on, on the Biden campaign we had seventeen battleground states um that we had to focus uh with the focus on in addition to like a national operation where if you weren't in a battleground state we were still working to engage every single person every single supporter in a non-battleground state to to be a volunteer and call into you know or text into a a battleground state and talk to voters and so the biggest sort of like like learning curve there is just making sure you know to understand how like how you can still be so quality oriented at such a large scale, um, which relies on like a lot of fact finding missions of like, you know, building effective partnerships with just a bunch of different like team leads, leads of like different states, um, and just making sure that, you know, in in a decision making process, um, you are taking an input of every single like department that will be impacted, every single state that will be impacted by a decision um, to make sure that, you know, they get what they need. And so, the biggest sort of like learning curve there um, was just trying to stay on top of your feet um, when making really fast decisions, making sure that you know you aren't leaving uh, anyone behind and, and, and the things that they need.
0: So, the campaign was obviously a slog, and you know, very it was very tough, uh, and and, uh, and and I would imagine very intense just out of pure curiosity how do you handle the amount of information that flies your way like how does that get cut up because like on a typical day or maybe even at the highest how many different types of communications do you get either text email phone call um what how do you how what, what does that look like? And then how do you sort out how to prioritize and triage how to uh, do the next thing in terms of decision-making?
1: Yeah. So, um, there were a lot of different, like, you know, teams focused on like outbound content. Um, like we have an email, we have an email team, SMS team, um, uh, call team that basically, basically like, you know, works on like writing out a calendar of like, we're going to do uh, we're going to call into like X type of list on, on this day or email this type of list for this purpose in that day. Um, and, you know, there's like alignment that's driven by stakeholders to understand from like, you know, a targeting perspective and a strategy perspective, if that makes sense. For me personally, my, my mo- most of my um, like needs are focused around tech and making sure a couple of things. One, um, you know, that like when we're sort of getting such a large scale with our technology, sometimes um, we have to really stay on top of our feet because we were really on the bleeding edge of technology to make sure that um, we're basically like approaching new ground and like we have to make sure our tools don't go down. Um, and if they do, like we have to, like go back into our contingency plans um, to make sure that we can still continue our voter content operations with like a backup tool, for example, which like we had like ready to go. Um, also, making sure that you know a lot of the inbound that used to come to me and and one of my co cowork- my counterparts um, Jeff Chang on the on the tech team a lot of inbound from like state teams on uh, needs that they have with the tool that they need to do something or they have an issue that arises with the tool and so i think one of the things we ended up really working on investing in was making sure we have like established like really clear communication processes um, and really easy to follow communication processes where we can sort of like triage a lot of the inbound uh, support requests um, and sort of prioritize the ones we want our vendors or external teams or like internal tech teams to focus on fixing first uh, or supporting first sort of based on the severity of the issue, the importance of like, you know, the electoral votes in the state Um, stuff like that essentially was um, taken as inputs. And then, and then from there on the more forward-looking strategic side, in addition to like handling the inbound support requests for, for technology was figuring out, okay, um, like we got to make sure we still stay ahead of like, what we need to have our tools do a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, when like our program will continue to scale up. Um, you know, I, I wrote this in the article, but like we definitely did have like, you know, things where we have way too many volunteers that one tool couldn't handle. So we had to, like one with two tools in parallel, for example. Um so thinking about, you know, investing in do we need to add additional tools to the toolbox? And if so, how do we make sure the teams have the, the guidances and trainings um to sort of operate that tool? Uh, making sure we understand sort of like strategically, like if the call team needs to do um, this strategy or if the relational team um, uh, or text team needs to do this strategy, does that feature exist on the tool? Uh, and if not, like we got to prioritize it. Um, and so a lot of it is like making sure to stay on top of priority setting for our like vendors and internal teams to make sure that our, our teams uh, internally on the digital organizing side, doing the voter contact, op- voter, voter contact operations, we're getting what they needed, but also like we were prioritizing the most high, uh, alluding to our roadmap and conversation earlier, we were prioritizing the things that will yield the most amount of voter contact um, and, and the most quality voter contact attempts. I
0: have like so many questions. So <laughs> the uh, this must have been equal parts exhilarating. In its intensity, to solve all of these problems, and equal parts exhausting. What was a typical day like for you? Like, so you you seemingly, I'm guessing you you had to have slept at some point, <laughs> and then gone to sleep at some point. How intense were the most intensive days when this was going on, in terms of just um, what you were doing and and all of that?
1: Yeah, I think you know to sort of answer the, the intense days. Um... The most intense days ended up being the four days before election day, uh, leading up to election day, um, which is generally called the GOTV or get out the vote period. Um, and that's when like essentially voter contact uh, starts on the East coast um, at around 8am. Uh, so you have to make sure you're up well, um, about at least an hour before then to make sure like all systems are ready and set to go. Um, and you're sort of like offline uh, until you uh, the last hour of voter contact is over all the way on the West Coast. Um, um, Nevada being one of the, the last states with like sort of a uh, mixture where we're still supporting, um, which can be up until uh, 9 uh, p.m. Eastern, or sorry, not 9 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Uh, Nevada time. Um, and so, you know, a typical day during GOTV ends up being uh, not a lot of sleep um, and just um continuously doing uh, check-ins like literally every 20 to uh, 25 minutes um, with like your like pod uh, um, uh, your direct team essentially and making sure that either all systems are good or like if there are issues like what can you do to mitigate them i think one of the challenges of like also working fully remote this cycle was that like you know before like i remember on the warren campaign you could just sort of like run across a different room and grab somebody and like talk to them and like solve something um, this time around, you know, we're all like behind our computer screens. Uh, so, you know, at least fortunately we were able to like, just drop in, uh, into video chats and, and have video chats like hash out, hash out solutions. Um, but it was definitely, you know, um, a, a bit of a challenge to not, not be in, in person. Um, and you know, you, you, sort of lose the camaraderie, uh, of like getting to be in, in person like, and going to battle, like, you know, with your, with your peers essentially.
0: Because just to, to kind of clarify, because we had talked about this before we started recording, you, when did you um, begin working in um, in quarantine, essentially? Like when, did, how did that, how long has that been going on? And you've been doing this from West Chicago.
1: Yeah. So, you know, once, once um, sort of the, after the Elizabeth Warren campaign was over and we sort of like, it was around the same time that like, you know, um, the The coronavirus thing was call, was because it was called a global pandemic, and we really wanted to shut down. I came back around around April in, in 2020, and I think I jumped on the Biden campaign uh, in, in August. And so, for from August until November, uh, was working <laughs> on a presidential from my childhood bedroom, uh, which is an experience like basically every single almost every single like also, staffer also had it was like working um, either just, like, from their current homes or like working from their childhood bedrooms. On you know, uh, trying to basically like you know destroy you know, like win, win a victory like you know something that was like going to be monumental for, for years to come.
0: That's 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 uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, I can't imagine how tiring that must be because you, you're not able to kind of step away from your home and work. It's all kind of fused uh, together. You know, one of the things that that I'm struck by, Vishal, when you're saying all this, is that it, it's not as if you, how you have acquired this very unique skill set um, in the campaign with the technology, with the marketing, and and all of that. It's not as if there's a coursework for this. Like uh, how how. Did you have any mentors along the way, or is this kind of a, a sink and swim type of learn by doing uh, experience? Uh, how how would you describe your uh, your build up to to get to your current level of of, of prowess with this?
1: Yeah, I think definitely uh, definitely a lot of support from from my mentors has, has existed ever since uh, I started getting involved with political organizing in. Um, uh, on campus at U of I, um, I had mentors there that, that taught me um, how to organize, the value of organizing, um, and basically, like you know, through just like doing things, um, you you end up learning and gaining confidence and like in executing. Uh, I'm someone that like you know, I don't I don't like to just sit behind uh, and learning something. I want to like always always be doing something with like my hand and, and executing, um, and even like ever since like you know, I had I had. Uh, Mentors that that helped me get on the Hillary campaign, uh, advisors that you know after the Hillary campaign I, I launched my own startup um, in the political tech space to to build a chatbot for getting people to you know volunteer and, and donate to, to campaigns. Um, advisors also that like you know after that I, I went to another political tech startup. One of the, the tools that we used on the campaign was called Mobilize America, um, and I also worked there uh, in, in New York for for a bit too, and I think um it, it's it's a world where like i had mentors and I'm, I'm definitely very grateful to them um because you know they both give you sort of the the guidance uh but also the confidence of like figuring out something on your own um to be like you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna you're gonna screw up but like you just got to make sure like as you're approaching things in the way you're thinking about it just make sure you take it from the approach of, like what are you what are you trying to test what's your hypothesis what are you trying to learn um, have a plan for like going somewhere and have a plan for how you're going to iterate on something uh, once, you, once you learn it. Um, we're all kind of like, you know, AI algorithms at the end of the day. We try things, it fails, we try it again, we, do, we, get, we get better at it. Um, and your confidence gets built up as well.
0: That's, that's, a, that's a good analogy uh, with that. You know, I was wondering, you know, in just a, in my own um, just kind of curiosity with this, what have what have you observed to be the most effective type of persuasion as you have seen it these years
1: uh working yeah. these campaigns i think one i saw very early on um when i first shared my immigration story um in college uh and i saw that like when i shared my immigration story with you know uh my friend circle especially in college um it it not only helped them educate them help educate them more on the issue um they were they were moved to support the immigration issue even more uh because they saw like they were able to like visualize like a person in their life they cared about that was impacted by a certain policy uh in, in sort of like an unfair way um so some were moved to support some were even moved to action um because um they were, able, they were able to put a face to an issue, essentially, and a face to an issue of, like, somebody they cared about in their life. I think something that, like, you know, you'll hear a lot about is, like, in the gay rights movement, um, a big reason why that movement ended up um, gaining popularity and support is just because uh, of, of, you know, um, activists sharing their stories. Um, you know, the whole slogan, love is love, uh, and you probably know somebody in your life that, like, you know, is hiding something and they can't share it with you. Um, Like they um, have really shown how effective uh, of a model it is to really humanize uh, the issues that we're facing um, and try to like avoid this like partisanship that like, you know, we're sort of like, is like the cloud, but if you go like deeper into it, you sort of see like the heart uh, when you share, when you share your stories like that. I forgot to ask, what are you working on now? What's next for you? Yeah, that is a silly thing I am researching, talking to folks about, um, talking to my mentors about. Um, I, you know, I think I want to stay stay in politics for sure. Um, I think they're, the thing that like really interests me continues to interest me is organizing and continuing to um, figure out ways to help, you know, connect people and like grow the progressive movement of understanding. Um, how to get more people to get bought into the vision yeah. of creating a multiracial democracy that works for all working class people and is fair to all working class people. Um, one where, you know, um, the top 1% of wealthy people don't get to control everything and don't get to control all the world's wealth. Um, just trying to like continue to figure out ways that I feel like the underlying problem of society really ends up being around, coming back to like, rhetoric, really. Like how do we like make sure we sort of like, are able to understand each other and like develop a shared excitement for a vision of the world we could all live in, where like we have equal opportunities for everyone, and that really comes down to figuring out better ways to to organize, um, better ways to like de- help people develop empathy with each other um, towards that vision uh, of of the world. And um, people are, a lot of these days are calling for for unity, but you know unity you don't unite with like fascists, right? You you sort of unite towards the truth. And unite towards a vision of a world um, where everyone can can benefit. Um, and so we just we have to, especially now in a world, figure out better ways to connect with each other, especially with how polarized we become and just how disinformation spreads. Uh, sometimes we get manipulated without even thinking about it. Um, even myself, um, from all these marketing things, all this dis- disinformation and fear mongering, sometimes that is peddled by like you know uh, even politicians. And so figuring out ways to um, not get um, you know overtaken by uh, by things that take away from the progress of society that we can go towards a better vision of the world um, is like a very long-winded of saying that's kind of the, the, the sort of the, the path I want to figure out of what to do more around.
0: Vishal, at the end of every episode, I ask our guests, uh, about the ways in which they were able to be successful, what tips do you have for current wildcats?
1: Yeah, I think kind of reflecting on uh, my own sort of um, my own sort of past, I think like really taking a deep look into like some of the I guess like some of the pain that like you've come across in your life. So, like what does like sort of define you in terms of like how you feel about the world like, what you care about the world, and just sort of, like, chase after the idea of, like, you can fix something. Um, I know it, like sounds, it sounds sometimes, like, too overwhelming to think that, oh, I, I can't, like, this is probably the state of the world, and, and it can't be changed, but, you know, similar to the idea of, like, why I got involved with computer science, like, if you want to dream it, and you can dream it, like, just literally go pursue it, because... Failure is not that bad. Um, the worst sort of feeling that exists is saying um, is the feeling of remorse of not trying something out. Um, so I think I would always say like just always just like try out your different ideas. Just like just dive into your passions. Think about like what gives you what gives you hope, motivation, and like sort of like based off of your experience and pain in the past in the world, like what you want changed about it. Um, I think is a is a good way to like sort of develop a a passion that like will continue driving you no matter how hard something gets. Um,
0: well, thank you Vishal for this. this has been a great conversation today, and I've learned so much about really the mechanics of what goes into a modern uh, election
1: campaign. Yeah, well, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. If you want to find past episodes, go to Apple Music Podcasts and search We Go